It's happy hour again from Central City, New Orleans. Hello, I'm Grant Morris. In the next 60 minutes, you'll get to meet just three of the many thousands of fascinating people who live in New Orleans. And you get to hear some music as well at the end of the show. You might conclude, New Orleans is a great city where people love to talk, have fun, and enjoy great music. But you probably know that already. So let's get right on with doing nothing but enjoying the next 60 minutes of happy hour together. We're here at Casa Borrega which is on Aretha Castle Haley Boulevard at Felicity Street. Casa Borrega is a bar, a nightclub, where you can hear Latin jazz mostly and Latin music and an amazing restaurant where you can have great food as well. My three guests sitting around the table here are a bunch of extremely eclectic New Orleanians. And I'd like to introduce you to them right now. Michael Rada sitting across from me. Hello, Michael. Hello. Michael is making his second appearance on Happy Hour for a good reason. Michael's an actor, an attorney, a film producer, and is currently embarking on his newest career, a TV producer and animal conservationist. That's right. Is That's that right. accurate enough? That's pretty close. Pretty good. Having I'm, back, acted, I'm back because of the pay so good. The pay is good. <laughs> Listen to so this. Good. Having acted in over 70 movies, is that correct now? Because last time I said 50. You well, up, I mean, you I've, I've, I've done 70. one since then. I've the, 71. Yeah. Where, what have you done since? Uh, I was in last? Kenya. I, did, I was in my own movie. Are you in your own movie yeah. in Kenya? Yeah. Really? Playing the part of an elephant? Michael Arata. No. Michael Yeah. So you would say himself That's on correct. IMDb. That's correct. Second I've always one. wanted to be himself. Have you ever guys ever been himself? You've both been in movies. Um, I've never... No. No? Paul? You've been I, himself? Yes, it's a, it is a daunting role. He really it's is. It's horrible. I you, think it's the worst. You can't live up to it. <laughs> I was terrible. Anyway, Michael's acted in over 70 movies and he's produced successful horror and comedy features just returned from Africa, where Mike has been producing and filming a pilot for a TV series about endangered species, species created and shot by fellow New Orleanians. It's pretty interesting, the Thank whole you. story. Thank you. So last time you were here, you were off to do this show with right. a whole bunch of uh, guys from New Orleans to save, what was it, the giraffe or the lion? The no, elephant. The, the wild elephant. The wild right. elephant. Yeah. Wait till you hear this story, you guys. This is an amazing tale. I'm hooked. It's All right. Gone, it's a, and the story is incredible. Sitting to my left, this just goes to show that you never know who you're talking to in New Orleans. You've probably seen this guy. Renzo, how do I pronounce your name? Renzo Amariz? That's it. Renzo Amariz, you've probably seen this guy at the Apple Store in Lakeside Mall. Right. Okay, now wait till you hear who he really is. <laughs> Renzo is a filmmaker who's working on a second feature film, I Am Lucador. Is that how it's pronounced? Luchador. Luchador. Which is a Mexican wrestler. How? Luchador. <laughs> That's got everybody's attention. Yo soy luchador. <laughs> it's based on a short film of the same name. Renzo also made a film called The Local 504, which you've never seen. The reason <laughs> you've never seen it is an amazing story itself worthy of a movie. Okay, now they're blending uh, our drinks, I think, here. Yep. God bless them. God bless them. Let's just be oh, thankful. Make, it's a juicer. They're making juice drinks. Uh, okay, prior to moving to New Orleans, now listen to this. To make movies, Renzo was a photographer in the U.S. Navy and served in Desert Storm as well as the conflicts in Yugoslavia, Kosovo, and Somalia. Right. Can you believe that you're looking at a guy right across the table <laughs> who's actually wow. been in war in you all of these places? Two crazy thing. The crazy yeah, thing? Crazy. He and I have both been to Somalia. Yeah. Okay. That's Where, weird right there. Isn't yeah. that weird? I, w I was going back and forth for a while between Somalia and Yugoslavia. And, uh, Did you I, get them confused? Yeah, I was so tired. <laughs> it sounds you funny. go Somalia it's, I was so tired from the experience of going back and forth back and forth uh, that uh, at one point I was in the plane I was sitting in the back and I asked I asked where we're going and I don't remember now where they said we were going but I my response was is that the hot one or the cold one oh my god <laughs> wow you nice. spent too much time over there yeah. Renzo's war photographs have been featured on the front pages of every major newspaper in the world and in major magazines, including Newsweek and Time magazine. That's it. 
This is going to be an interesting show so far, even, wow. isn't it? Even where we are it up to now. It is becoming apparent to me who is the dead weight at this table. Okay. <laughs> go, ahead and, go ahead and read my it's, lovely it's paragraph. It's me. <laughs> but listen to I this. Paul Meany is also here. Paul Meany is the singer, keyboard player, and frontman for New Orleans band Mute Math. Mute Math made their first recording in 2004. In 2007, their song Spotlight was featured in the mega hit movie Twilight and went all the way to number one on the Billboard singles chart. I wouldn't call that dead weight exactly, would you? No, I never made it to number one. On the number one, this is, this is certainly very single. inflated, and it's not true, but I like it. That it is helps true. me hang with I the saw table, it on Wikipedia. So I saw it on Wikipedia. Oh, and that's where it's definitely yeah, concrete. It's got to be true, right? <laughs> you, did, you had, a song. You had a song on Twilight, right? No, we did have a song. You had a song on the movie Twilight. Twilight was a mega I'm not correcting hit. anything. You should just go. I'm, I'm and very it was a number. And it was a number one hit on the Billboard Hot Singles chart. I don't think so, but that's okay. Are you serious? It's okay. What was its highest chart position it got? No. I'm telling you, honestly, it, it was number one, really. Okay. I, I, I like I your version to, of it. Let's go with that. It is true. It was in, it's on Wikipedia. I'll show you. <laughs> it's I've okay. got it. Look. I've got it right here. Have a look. No, this is... If this was worse than the truth, I would be jumping. I should just be keeping my mouth shut, okay, right? Okay, should have. Yes. Really, okay, yes. okay tell, me, tell me if what any of these things aren't true, then. Among the thousands of live appearances Mute Mouth have played on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. True? That is true. And it's David Letterman. Great time. David Letterman? Yeah, 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 yeah. Conan O'Brien? Oh, yeah. Jimmy Kimmel? Yep. Okay, so you've been on all these shows. We have, yeah. Have you also toured relentlessly to pack houses across the country <laughs> and yes. around the world? No. I'm on the witness stand. Now, here. remember, yes. you're under yeah. oath. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. yes, you have, correct? I Say have, it. Have, Say have, it. I have for toured God's relentlessly. Listen, I tell you what, this is a huge band. It's a hugely successful band that I think a lot of New Orleanians, a lot of people listening to this show might not even realize how big you are. It's a, you well, guys are a superstar arena size that's, rock that's band. extremely kind but that no now i gotta correct you we are just a good solid house of blues band that's what i like to that's it's about where we are certainly okay. aspire to the arenas i mean we're shooting for that um haven't quite got there yet we got to play jazz fest for the first time this year that was a that was cool. wonderful experience sort of a of course a childhood dream of mine so came true this year that was very nice what stage were you on at jazz fest I think it was the uh, those big was ones. It the Acura stage. Yeah. That's oh, that's the big great. one. Great. Yeah. yeah. Play right before Galactic. Have you ever heard this band play, Michael? I know their song Britannia we're about to right. listen As to. Have you heard them, Renzo? I have not. You guys are going to be absolutely fucking shocked when you hear how okay. good these guys we are. We can curse? You can. I just well, found I out can. we can curse. <laughs> yeah, you can say fucking anything you want. Okay. Listen to this. Mute Man's latest album, Odd Soul, is a commercial success and an artistic triumph of a band already at the top of its game that's reached new heights. Hey, here. Listen to this. The official iTunes review of Odd Soul says, Paul Meany, who we're looking at here, Paul Meany's lead vocals weave around the quivering keyboards and molten bass, rising to an effortless falsetto that conveys hipster call with a hint of prophetic vision. Now, I know that's How true because I, I wrote that. <laughs> that, that. That's definitely true. This is an awesome album and an insanely good band. That's real. Maybe we should start off by listening to a song. I, I'm intrigued. I want to hear, hear it. it. Yeah, okay. I want to hear it. Let's take a listen to it. Let's do it. We've never done this ever. We've never kicked off a show with a song. I think we should. Ever before, but and I nice. think we should in this case. In Mr. Meany's honor. Let's do it. Right. Paul, tell us about the song Britannia, which is a movie theater. We know that in a street. Certainly a street. Certainly my, uh, my sort of um, kind of a, a song that reflects my relationship with this city. So I kind of put it into this dysfunctional love song called Britannia. Mute man. And I'll tell you my story after. Okay.
Okay. What do you think of that? Oh, man. It's pretty good. Did I oversell it? <clears throat> no, it's great. That's a real thing. <laughs> that is a real thing. Tell us about the song first, and then we'll grill you about the rest of your life. Okay. Uh, yeah, that song sort of came from, you know, I grew up here in New Orleans. and um, What high school did you guys at? I went to Brother Martin. Brother Martin, actually, okay. Yeah. And um, I don't know if it's just my luck in the city, or it's, I, I don't know what it is, but it's certainly my relationship with the city where... Um, so this yin and the yang of something enchanted and wonderful happened, surely to be fo- surely to be followed by something dreadful or depressing or whatever it is. Like a, a wonderful night out in the town with um, my lovely new wife, and then we come back and um, you know my car's been broken into or something. Um, you know I have a, a great time, or, or I'll take some some friends to city park and we're, we're hanging out. It's like oh what a cool place. We take our kids to go ride on the trains. And then, uh, you know, and then on my ride back, you know, I get a, I get a ticket from the, from the eye in the sky. Or, and so and there's always this thing of, God, I got to get out of this city um, because it just is getting under, underneath my skin. Well, you're versus, blaming the city, of course. Not, yeah, no, of course. I'm just blaming where I'm at. Yeah, right. No, yeah, I'm just yeah. blaming, of course, Somewhere whatever I can. It's fun. never me. Yeah, right. Um, and then with, no, I love this place. I just, I, 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 this is home. I, I can't go anywhere else. So you know, this is a certain uh, example, but... Um, I kind of just funneled it into this sort of dysfunctional love song. Into the song. What are you saying? Pretend you're looking... What is it? What is the chorus? Like a loaded gun. Like a loaded gun. Yeah. And that's something. Have huh? you been held up? No, I haven't, thankfully. <laughs> uh, felt like it a few times, uh, but no, not literally. And when did you get married? I got married in 98. 98? I've been married 15 years. We celebrated my 15-year anniversary. I thought you just mentioned that you just got married recently. That was... No, well, he, said is, he said it very romantically. His lovely bride... Oh, is that what you were thinking? Yeah. Okay. It's like the number one record. <laughs> <laughs> you really are married, right? I am, yeah. And while we were playing that song, you got able to look at my notes here from Wikipedia, where it does really say you had number one single. I, I really didn't it's need got the to wake out with that. It, it's, it's totally the, fine. It's got the date, even. <laughs> it's so okay. It is true, though, isn't it? Yes. If it's in Wikipedia, <laughs> it is definitely true. We all know that. Okay. So how is that? So you... Whoa. When did you, when did you find out you had this voice? Because <laughs> um, everybody in the world wants to be a rock star, like you know Freddie Mercury or you. No, no, no. I, I started. Um, I always sang since I can remember. You know, my dad was a musician. It was just what always he, music around the house. Play? He was a guitar player, and um, you know, I grew up playing music in church. My dad was the music guy at our church, and whatever they needed filled in on that week with the drums, bass. Keep, they'd teach me a little something. So that's how I began to learn music. And um, Child I've always thought, yeah, exactly. I've always thought in musical terms. So, um, you know, when I first found out about U2, I knew I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to kind of that chase was that Bono. dream. Yeah, I remember when I remember my dad was a subscriber to Time Magazine, and the so they were on the cover. Of, yeah, um, been there. Renzo. Oh, you've been on the cover. <laughs> been on the cover, Time. man. <laughs> skip to skip to something yeah. more interesting. We got someone who's been on the cover nah, of Time Magazine. On. But anyway, I read yes. that article of you two, and I was just, I didn't know anything about the music. All I knew was that there was this band, this idea of being a rock band. They're from the other side of the world, and they were traveling. And, and um, I remember there was a quote in there that Bono uh, said, and it really stuck with me. I mean, I was eight years old when I read this. Um, but the quote was, is he found his voice because he wasn't good enough to sound like anyone else. Mm. And he tried. Um, and That's yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like after your failed attempt at imitating other singers, um, you finally sort of fall into your own. That's probably... Who, start, who did you start off trying to sound like? Um, Huey Lewis. 
<laughs> what a funny thing that to was aspire Back to, to the Future. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Back to the Future played a big part in my childhood. And um, yeah, I remember that, that was the first tape I bought was Huey Lewis. That was the very first one. So it was back in the cassette tape days. Yes, it was. Yeah. And what was the song from um, Back to the Future yeah. to Huey Lewis? Oh, Power of Love. The Power of Love. Oh, yeah. Right. I bet you could kill that if you sang that. I definitely killed it. <laughs> Boy, that would sound great if you guys did that. That would be pretty appropriate. Now, the power well, of love, wouldn't well, it? I, it? It might be, actually. I can't remember the lyrics. Can you guys remember Who's the done lyrics? a cover of that? I, uh, I can't think of one. Don't think anybody I, has. No. no. In fact, no. It's been outlawed. <laughs> <laughs> and so, these guys could shoot the video for you. Renzo of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, Absolutely. Renzo, tell us. Is that we've got a million things to ask you about sure. here. About <clears> one, of course, <clears> is being a war correspondent. Should we sure. start with that, or should we start with the story of the movie? Uh, well, we're talking about New Orleans. Let's talk about the movie. Okay. Okay, so you shot a movie called... What's it called? The 504. The local 504. The local 504. Yeah. Which, what does that mean? Well, I just, it was, what happened was I had the funny idea that I, I wanted that domain name. And uh, it had no reason to, to have it. I just saw that it was available, so I bought it. And so I was sitting on it for a while. And then uh, one night I was writing a, and anybody can steal this because I'm never going to finish it, but uh, I was writing this movie that I had an idea about a serial killer that, Called, uh, called himself the King of Carnival. And so during every parade, he killed somebody. And he'd leave a little doubloon and it said King of Carnival and they can't find him and all that good stuff. Um, good idea, Michael. Michael's taking notes. No, uh, there's a TV writer out there right now, though, who's sharpening their pen. Yeah. So, yeah, run, run with it. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, I, I couldn't write. So I walked down the street to a friend of mine's party and, uh, and I talked to this guy who I'd met once before. Uh, for about half an hour and Sean asked me what I was doing. I told him I was at a little writer's block. So I just went for a walk, walked over to the party and he asked me what I was going to do with the movie. And I said, I don't know. I'm just writing it right now. And he says, well, why don't you shoot it? You know, enough people to shoot it. So I said, eh, I don't have, I don't have the money to, to create my own Mardi Gras basically. <laughs> so, um, so he said, well, just make some stupid zombie movie and then, and shoot that. So I thought about it. I went home, pretty much right after that and uh and i kept thinking like some stupid zombie movie and i couldn't come up with anything that that would make me happy so i thought about uh robert rodriguez and he and he said something and i'm paraphrasing he said something along the lines of when he wrote um el mariachi he only all he had was a suitcase a turtle or empty guitar case a turtle in a shitty town in mexico so he wrote about that and I laid there in bed thinking about the zombie movie, and I'm thinking about that, that quote, and I thought to myself, I don't have a guitar case, a turtle, and I live in a shitty town in southern Louisiana that looks like a war zone. And then all of a sudden, as soon as I said war zone, everything clicked. And I thought, all right, so what kind of war did we have? And I, and I remember I grew up you know, loving like those 80s uh, uh, Cold War movies like Red Dawn and stuff like that. And I thought about Red Dawn. It's like, well, what, if, what if the Soviets did attack and what if they did win? And so I came up with this idea that, that it was present-day Soviet-controlled Soviet United States and that there was a group of guys here in New Orleans after Katrina that, were, that found that because it was Katrina that the Soviets didn't want to you know, hold on to this, so they decided they are going to try to push them out. And they called themselves the Local 504 and, you know, using the area code and like the union system and then all and that happened throughout the you know, United States with the different resistance groups. Hang on a second. S just stop there for a sec. So we're living in some sort of parallel universe right. where it's the present day 
but the United States has been the entire United States has been overrun by what was then the Soviet Union. Correct. Okay, how that happened? Or doesn't that matter how that happened? So who's the president of the United States now? Some Russian guy, right? Ivan. Something. Yeah, Ivan. Whoever you know. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean it happened. And I like it. You're already into the story. You don't need the backstory. You're already in. And, the story okay. starts. And uh, what the, what drugs do you do, you do normally? Uh, <laughs> normally, uh, I don't do any drugs. No, the, funny enough. Now the funny, the funny thing about the story to me so far, and you know, and chime in, and you guys, you've been in wars for right. years. You've already yeah. been in wars for ten years, right? Right. Right. That's all you did for ten years was that's, that's being in a war. Yeah, just to eat, you ate took that your, for breakfast. You had to go through. You had to go through the empty guitar case, the shitty town, the mariachi, El Mariachi, for you to think about war. Right, which yeah. is all you've known for ten years. Well, it's not all I. I knew some other things. Well, you were a war, <laughs> you were a war photographer for right. all that time, so you saw war close up. Yeah, it's funny though. The whole that whole part of life for me is weird because I look back at that um, almost forgetting a lot of it. Um, you think that's intentional to blank it out? Not necessarily. It's just that maybe there was just so much stuff that I forgot um, that I, I remembered. Like, I remembered being in Greece for, like, a month, and all I really remembered was, like, climbing Mount Olympus, this strip club in Thessaloniki, and this awesome hotel. And Hey, look, that's a good plot <laughs> right there. That's better than an empty guitar case, a turtle. And Throw in some Russians and some <laughs> turtles. I mean, there, there you go. There, there were some Russians. Yeah, right. No turtles. What so. were you supposed to be doing in Greece? There was no war in Greece, was there? No, there wasn't. Uh, there was, I guess it doesn't matter now. Yeah, there was a... Uh, we were going to do an amphibious landing through Greece into Kosovo. And so I was taking pictures along the uh, coastline going into uh, Montenegro um, for this possible thing for that, could, landing. that so could happen. Were you taking pictures that would be then published somewhere? Or no. Were you taking pictures for a reconnaissance? Reconnaissance terms, yeah. And, and where so are you? What are you in a helicopter or a boat or walking a, around? I'm in a car, plain clothes, driving. I drove from Thessaloniki down to Volos. Uh, and then drove back up. Took a month to drive back up. So who's in the car? Just you and a couple of other guys? Just or me. Just you. <laughs> so you're like a spy. I we didn't look at it that way. Just looked at it as, uh, I mean, I, was, I didn't tell anybody what you're I was doing. You're a nature photographer at that point, right? Yeah. 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 Well, let me ask a question. Exactly. Again. So you're like a spy. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> you're taking military fo- photos for a military purpose from in a country that's an ally of the United States. Right. Without the permission of the country. Oh, no, they you knew, do they not have you. to answer they that knew. question. <laughs> yeah. Let me advise you. My attorney you. is. You do <laughs> not. They knew. They, they knew. They okay. knew I was there. Okay. I, was so working, was I was working under NATO at the time as well. So everything was fine. But uh, what did you do all day? You got up in the morning and uh, drove to the next location. Sometimes it was weird. Like, you know, I remember one night we had to, I had to go some beach. There was a SEAL team that was camping out. It was like two in the morning. I had to go find them. And, uh, and I just had like. A general location of where they were so i'm out there did they give you a phone number like, no and that was a, that's actually what they told me when they found me is that they didn't give you they didn't give you a gps i'm like no <laughs> and i'm like stand, i'm sitting in the car outside this field where i think they are and i'm flashing my lights on and off you waiting know, to get shot by basically he was a spy by yeah. the way that's <laughs> that's cold war stuff that's spy right stuff yeah. yeah and so and i'm walking out there and through this field and i'm waiting you know and i'm just kind of like looking for them and and I'm like, these guys are just going to tackle me or something. I don't know. But I finally see them, and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm an American. Hi, you know, SEAL team. Hey, buddy. It's just me. And they were just the as, camera. They were actually just as scared as I was. They, no uh, way. Yeah. That's not a good sign for the <laughs> no, they'd, uh, security of the United States. No, no, no. So they, the SEAL team was like the ace guys, right? They're scared of a guy out there with flashing his lights? No, they had just gotten back from the strip club in Thessaloniki. <laughs> it's, so, uh, it's, the they thought you were the, the MPs. Turtle. They thought you were an MP. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you what they were doing. They weren't doing anything... 
like illegal drugs or anything like that, but they were. <laughs> Well, they were they were, they were having a, they were nice having a, they were having a little camp out out there and having a good time. <laughs> so they got so, hookers and stuff out there. No, 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 no. It's just, <laughs> well, it's the army. You're allowed to do that. Huh? Secret. <laughs> they uh, So we were gonna. Invade. They made fr- they made friends with the with a local uh, like bed and breakfast type place, and they were allowed to uh, take all their alcohol and uh, okay. and so they were just sitting around drinking. So when they found when I found them, they were. They were like, oh, you're not going to tell. And you're like, oh, oh I see. So this is, this is our crack uh, military. This is the most highly trained, most effective guys yeah. in the United States. It's only, it's only taken like, so like half, a drink, half a drink. Half a drink. I'm giving away all the state secrets. Yeah. <laughs> this is like 60 minutes here. So, okay, so you're out there. Uh, you're in wandering around Greece. I don't even know how we got onto Greece here. but I don't either. Somehow we were talking about. Oh, yeah, I was talking about how I forget things about that. Time. Yeah, I'd forgotten why we we're talking about it. Yeah, you, you guys remember why we we're talking about that? Well, you asked. What's Vol- your name? I forgot. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah okay. but I was back in, to the movie. Yeah, no. so I was in Volos, and I for, yeah, it was about I was in Volos, and I actually I was saying that I forgot I forget things about uh, what happened back then, and I was in Volos, yeah, you were in a and I was in a Zodiac in a joint uh, Greek and uh, U.S. Marine um, exercise, and I was looking through some pictures, and I found this picture I thought was kind of cool from that, and all of a sudden I remembered that I almost died that day and I forgot like it completely just slipped my mind how many times have you almost died in combat apparently I don't know but <laughs> well, we don't know that's right well tell us what happened well they say I, was, I remember I was sitting in this on this little zodiac and we're like floating around out there running around and I see there's another one that's coming at us and I'm taking pictures of it and having to you know I'm like oh these are gonna be so cool you know and then uh and it's getting closer and coming right at us and I'm looking at it and thinking that that guy's not turning you know, and and he didn't, and so finally, like right before he hit us, I just screamed, and it's like everybody get down, and everybody just didn't even think about it, just hit it, and he hit us from the side, and uh, but if we were all just standing there, I mean, I don't know if we would have died necessarily. This but is another fascinating yeah. story. Here. Let me just get this straight. You're in a Zodiac, which is a dinghy, like an inflatable dinghy type, something thing? like that. We were letting the uh, the Greeks. Drive that one at the time. Who's in it besides you? You're the photographer, but what other military personnel? Uh, I had, uh, I think it was all U.S. Marines. Maybe a couple of Greeks were with us too. Okay. The U.S. Marines are floating around out in the ocean, and we're the only guy who says, "Look out, we're all going to be killed," is the photographer. Well, I'm the only one looking around. <laughs> what are the other uh, guys and, doing? They're looking forward. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little I scared. See. So this guy was trying now. to ram you. Was he on purpose? No, or? he just uh, he was learning how to drive the. Uh, oh, the I thought boat. it was going to be a terrorist. Nah, no, nah, no, no. It was a, it was actually a friend. <laughs> my friend, my friend. Long time no see. Okay, so you let's go back a little bit. So you're in bed. Yeah. You're thinking. And so why don't I write a movie about a war? A war that's never in which happened. the United States has been overrun by the Soviet Union, which right. was, of course, by that time there was no Soviet no, Union. No, they're right? gone. So suppose the Soviet Union won and the president of the United States is Ivan something or other, the Correct. terrible. Right. And you're living down here and we've had Hurricane Katrina. Correct. So this is a Hurricane Katrina story in Soviet America. Right. So the Soviets pretty much abandoned this. Awesome. We're really right, is. Right? I'm okay. telling you, okay. you're already into the story. Well, you already be... shot this movie. This is a movie that exists, right? It's shot. It's sitting yeah. on a hard drive. Uh, but sadly enough, as okay. So as, get to the yes. Yeah, so get to the really crazy part of the story here. What is the sadly enough story? The sadly enough thing is we we didn't know what we were doing, <laughs> and uh, so uh, basically all the sound was stolen. Oh. 
Yeah. Well, now that's what I read this in the in the bio. In your yeah. bio. It says the sound was stolen. What does that mean? It means that someone stole the sound. <laughs> but what does the sound look like? Is it a separate? Okay. It's in, it's I'm on a hard drive. That. I'm following that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's <laughs> okay. on a it's on a drive, and uh, and so our sound guy apparently had it with him at some uh, at like the R bar or something. And he was be careful. Be very careful. Yeah. Was it actually the R bar? I believe it was, but I'm not 100. percent You know. Okay. Or it oh, might, okay. Might not have been the R. It might not have been the R bar. Could have been the B bar. Okay. <laughs> we have to be very careful about what we say. Now okay. I have to ask: Is that an Paul. insurmountable obstacle, though? Well, yeah. the, all the we never planned on the sound, uh, the camera sound being used. So we, um, you know, we, so we didn't really we didn't use we didn't want to use it, you know, and so that's all we have. You know, it was only there for reference. So that's all we have to go off of. So some of it actually sounds decentish, uh, and some of it's completely horrible. And um, so we just made to ask you a question about making a movie. Mm -hmm. Michael, you might be able to answer this better. So you see with guys shooting movies, they have like a big boom microphone. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, that's, that's the sound you're recording to correct. use. Correct. Yeah. So that's the sound that's got been stolen. Right. Okay, so what happens the good sound. When, when you see a movie, these documentaries about how they make movies, they have like a recording studio afterwards, and everyone dubs the sound in over again, don't they? Well, there's, there's well, like now you're going to deal with his budget issue, and it's about like how much res well, what resource do you have? So what uh, probably happened is you didn't have the, it, it was stolen before the sound was actually synced up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So they had filmed you had filmed the movie, and at that point somebody essentially just downloads all the data from right. this hard drive onto another hard drive where they actually sync up the sound with the picture. Okay. And you actually do have camera sound and he's right it's usually pretty crappy because you don't ever intend on using the camera sound right. okay and so he had the unfortunate experience before somebody synced up his sound to the actual picture it got pinched yeah right. so what do you do well cry that's my question <laughs> cry no but hang on, yes. hang on. No, you're thinking the same thing right paul dub these the, guys the go into movie. a recording studio and they dub they don't they don't they dub every yeah. line well over? you can do adr i mean it's really hard i What's mean ADR? Uh, that's I don't remember what it stands for now, but uh, <laughs> not the agency Wait. of yeah. You know, uh, but uh, yeah, you can something recording. You're basically you know dubbing your own voice into the into it again. But uh, but I mean like Brando did it all the time. But then you look at there's some movies like uh, like I think it was Godfather. It was actually like some pretty terrible sound in some of that because he he would mumble his lines on purpose in order to do ADR later on. Uh, <laughs> but but ADR so ADR is the name of going back in and doing this. So why couldn't you do that? I mean, I can't think of a better Kickstarter story than you sitting here telling the story and someone stole our sound. Everybody's going to give you twenty five bucks for that. That's true. I mean, that's I mean that's a that's a pretty good idea. I, I didn't. We've decided we're just going to get creative with it and see what we can pull out, and then we might have to do some some ADR. Uh, Mostly alternative. What do you I think? Do? Well, we're we're looking into all Music. that. Music. We're in our Paul. we're in our I can hook you we're up. in our fourth uh, we're on our fourth sound guy right now that's trying to fix it. Ooh. And uh, and you know at this point I already know the answer every time. So can't do much with it. Can't do much Sorry. with it, Michael. You know, well, you yeah. Michael's a film producer. He's produced tons of movies. Uh, it's He's a hard. Rescued, it's a, it's a rescued, tough one. That's, so we were running around in in Kenya, in yeah. the highlands of Kenya. Yeah. And one of the issues is so we filmed all this fantastic stuff. How do we get it back to the United States? You know so. Um, it's a problem that you deal with and you try to you hopefully get lucky and you don't have a problem with it. But we, you know, what we did is we strapped it to the back of a camel and then that camel passed it on to a carrier pigeon and the carrier <laughs> pigeon passed it on to a goat and then the goat passed it on to a buffalo. The buffalo ended up in the middle of the city getting hit by a bus. 
And so the bus driver picks it up and takes it over to the cab driver. The cab driver brings it to the hotel, and the hotel flies it back to the U.S. So it worked perfect for us. That was a good. That, that's a good system. <laughs> so that's my system. I need, I mean, I need to get out of It's foolproof. <laughs> it's pretty much foolproof. Well, so let's just get on to Africa in a minute before we yeah. get, and we'll just. Walk, I mean, well, we've got so much to cover here, but yeah. just before we get off the subject forever, yeah. is it? actually possible to do this michael to recreate the entire sound in a recording studio and yeah. dub it onto the movie it, it is, is for sure but it what is. you okay. lose is this you lose number one the ephemeral sense of like acting in the moment which you know right that's right. one of the senses well, that's you lose. gone that's gone right but what you but you also lose are ambient sounds and other sounds that are kind of natural so you have to recreate everything yeah okay. not only do you have to recreate his dialogue, my dialogue, your dialogue, All your the dialogue, and everything. You got to do everything over. And you got to go out with a with a little handheld recorder and get the ambient sound. You start from scratch. And all that yeah, every, so essentially, every you start from scratch. Everything. So isn't it just a money and time issue then? Yeah, I mean, it's been four years since we started this thing, so I guess time doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so he's down to money. Yeah. But couldn't yeah. we so cry, so do the Kickstarter? Yeah. Isn't that a, isn't that a perfect Kickstarter project? though, really, you guys? It is. You know, I'm not gonna lie to you. There, there's a part of it. You can where lie if you want. It's, like, yeah, it's yeah. a better story. It's a Paul's up for it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the movie w did win an Oscar, no matter yeah. what. <laughs> exactly. Even with camera sound, it won it's the sound. Such a great story, though, <laughs> isn't it? Like, you can hear it on Tonight Show. It just beat out the piano for the sound. No, <laughs> but we. Uh, I mean, there's there's a part where you just start you start feeling really defeated about everything, you know, and you and you have so many other ideas that you want to yeah. you know get off the ground and and run with that are. I mean, to be honest, I mean we've learned so much doing that that we know we can do better and uh and we've done better since then so you know you just kind of you feel like you kind of want to move along i've got another great idea for yeah. you what's that okay this is another good one put the whole thing on youtube and have people send in sound that's not a bad idea it's actually a great idea <laughs> everybody just contribute <laughs> absolutely whatever you want to say put go ahead it, and yeah say put it, it in five minutes i'll segment. break it up into sections and yeah, have everybody like a five minute everybody bit, yeah. dub in their own thing yeah Oh, listen, the good news story is he, he just said it. He learned it's the hard way, but All that's right. the way. You learn that, listen, whenever we film something and then you're going to record sound, let's make sure that we got backups for the backups for the backups. And, right. And not one person who goes to the yeah. A, B, or C bar. A bar. What yeah. A bar. A bar. <laughs> right? And then Takes that stuff with him and loses so, it. So the guy had your hard drive with mm -hmm. your sound in, yeah. in a bar having a few drinks and someone stole it basically so he, was, he was DJing or something like that yeah oh okay he yeah. was a DJ in the bar yeah have you ever talked to that guy uh, since then no <laughs> <laughs> does, he, does he know who he's fucking with that he, you're in combat that you've taken out Greeks I actually feel really bad about it because he was he was a really good friend he's taken out I, Greeks I feel like I broke up with a friend I've never oh, actually done oh, that before yeah, yeah. yeah. So, well it's such an I'm sure he they don't call it too. it's not friends biz right yeah. yeah I'm sure he feels bad about it though right? I'm sure has I, he gone on to work in any other movies or has he washed up I first? have no idea he, he does stuff you probably you probably heard of him at some point I'll, we'll talk about it later well we don't have to mention his name but you can tell us his name if you want nah it's cool okay let's not be mean to him. okay that's uh, awesome back to Africa back to Africa okay, that's so last time we <laughs> last time we sat around this table yeah. you were about to go to Africa with Kenny Morrison who's a photographer yep. and uh, Alex Beard who has an art gallery in the French Quarter as the host as the host of the show yep. and you had this preposterous idea that you were going to go to Kenya and shoot the pilot for a TV series about saving the African elephant. Yeah, actually saving endangered species, but we're going to start with the African so elephant. Then we're going to do a whole series around the world for like Discovery Channel. Yep. And nobody was paying for this except you at this point. Yeah, yeah. It was, okay. it, it was uh, completely different than everything I expected, but everything I wanted. So I saw fantastic. you drive away from the curb here on Aretha Castle Haley Boulevard, and that's the last time I saw you. What happened? 
Uh, <laughs> good question. What happened? Um, you know what was, I, I don't know, I'm going to try to encapsulate it and then we'll kind of talk about it in some detail. So what happened was, um, it's really hot. You're up in the altitude, like 6,000 feet. And so, um, and it's intense. It was a very intense experience for everybody. We had a New Orleans crew. We were used to the heat, prepared for the heat. What we weren't prepared for were some of the other elements, like how hard it was to get from place to place. The continent is so huge, African continent, so massive that there isn't any quick way to do anything. Like everything takes a Herculean effort. So um, we'd find this fantastic story and we're just talking about Somalia, right? And so just a quick example, we found out that there were gonna be four of these tribal chiefs who kind of dominate the northern Kenya, northeast Kenya um, terrain, that they were going to be meeting in one place in this little frontier town uh, northeast of us, close to the Somali border, in what they call Kenyan Somaliland. And so we thought, you know what, let's go check that out. It can't be, let's, uh, we can try to figure out how to get there. And somebody said, okay, well, great. Well, I'll organize this and we'll get a van and it'll take us about, you know, eight and a half hours to drive up there in the van. And by the way, there really aren't any roads, so it may take us more than that because the roads could be impassable. And by the way, we're probably going to be visited by pirates or bandits on the way up there. So we have an armed military guard with us, which we do, you know, and that's fine because, because our, you know, they have weapons and we'll have weapons too. So that shouldn't be a big issue, not a huge issue. You know, we can deal with that. And, and you know, it, it, we may get up there and they may not actually even be there. It may have been yesterday or maybe two days from now. And so one of the fun things that I had as a producer was the opportunity to say, you know what? Fuck it. Let's do it. <laughs> And so instead of driving, we flew everywhere. So we would literally like meet these wild bush pilots, people who've been living in Kenya for years, some former American soldiers, right? There's all these kind of special forces guys who are out in the middle of nowhere. And what they do is they come up to you and say like, hey man, you want me to, you want me to show you where you can buy some used weapons? <laughs> like, no, I just, I'm filming a movie, man. I don't, want to, I don't want to buy any weapons. I don't want to do any drugs. I don't want to do any of that shit. I just want to shoot a film. And somebody would be like, okay, I'll fly you guys up there. So we get in this plane and we fly up there. And uh, this is what everybody says up there. Listen, let me do the talking, okay? Let me, let me get up there and do the talking. And you're like, God, I wish I, spoke, I wish I spoke Swahili or one of the 47 other tribal languages that they speak. And then you realize everybody speaks English, everybody. So even the Somalis, even the, you know, the most remote tribesmen up there, they have some English. And so... Uh, I didn't like other people doing their talking for me because they were all negotiating, right? They're all negotiating like, okay, take the guy in the green shirt and two goats and we're good. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I, I think I'm the guy in the green shirt. I, I don't want to stick around here. So, um, you know, we had some fantastic experiences. We really like, literally went up there. We're in the middle of the, we're on the equator in northeastern Kenya dealing with people who don't see cameras and camera crews and heavy armory that we had with us to protect us. And uh, everybody to any, a person was incredibly generous. Did you, you see know. elephants? We were attacked by wild elephants. We were attacked by wild dogs. We saw animals doing what animals do in the wild. I mean, that's the purpose of going there was to sh film and experience nature in harmony. Like what really what it is to be an animal uh, and, and the people who live in anim with animals you were, in harmony. You were attacked by wild elephants. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm sure all the elephants are wild by definition because they're <laughs> Well, you know what's funny? I mean, we've always seen elephants in the zoo, right? And they mm -hmm. always have this kind of like predictable behavior. It's the behavior of something that's captive. Right. And it's kind of like this monotonous, they have ticks really like. They're quite benign looking. Well, that's because they're Asian elephants. It's one of the first things I realized, like these elephants are totally different. 
And you look at an African elephant and it's robust and it's got massive ears and it's got massive tusks and they're aggressive. They're aggressive. They don't like people. They don't like people being around them. And they remember the last time they saw a person that was shooting at them. Right. Or it actually shot one of their Do relatives. Do they understand you're trying to save them? Well, you no, couldn't get a message the, across the, the before elephants they I spoke with, <laughs> The elephants I spoke with wanted to have nothing to do with me. They thought I was an interloper. They didn't like my accent, any of that stuff. So, What happens when an ele- elephant is... Is it coming towards you with its yeah. head down, with its tusks? So this is these some of the things you learn while you're in the bush, right? So there's predictable behavior from an animal. The elephant that charged us came through our camp in the middle of the day was in the forest. It was in where he was supposed to be. We were somewhere where we probably shouldn't have been. He was doing his thing. And he stumbled across us. And one of our, our sound guy was on the satellite phone talking to his wife. And a massive elephant walked right in front of him. And he literally was talking to his wife. He said, honey, there's an elephant <laughs> walking right in front of me. And then That's like the it. elephant saw him and immediately panicked and said, this is not someplace where I want to be, and turned hard and turned in the direction of two of our other crew members. And they were sitting under a tree, relaxing, essentially. You know, it was the hottest part of the day. We were taking it easy. We had just finished eating. And uh, Gabby Velasquez, who's a fantastic New Orleans filmmaker, was literally climbed up a tree because an elephant charged at him. The elephant saw our camera equipment and didn't know what to make of that, so turned and then turned towards me. And I was sitting in our camp, and it, I could hear the this massive animal tearing up these bushes, and it broke right through the bushes. And I looked up, and there was a 15, 16-foot elephant charging right at me, saw all of our tents, and thankfully turned to the right instead of turned towards me. And it, I hope someone filmed all that, because that sounds amazing. No, it, That's almost a cartoon. It was almost a cartoon, and it happened so fast and so, so wow. suddenly that I was shocked. And then I was like, that's my Ernest Hemingway moment. <laughs> I just had it. I just had it. It's, that was it. That was the hunting of the buffalo, you know, the elephants. So, so how did it go with the actual plan to shoot a story it, about saving elephants? It went fantastic. We, um, we lucked out. We got great interviews with people who are actually, like, on the ground working to save the wildlife. And one of the things we discovered was this. We thought we were going to find it when we got there, and we thankfully did. Like, there's an entire movement of what they call community conservation. And, you know... Their community is segmented. It's very tribal. And so you'll have people who live in one tribe, and I'm a Samburu tribal, I'm a warrior, and you're a Turkana warrior, and you're a Somali warrior. Is this like an improv bit we're going to do? No, it's not, but it's like these are, they they take it seriously, right? And so they're warriors. And so I'm going to steal your cattle. As a matter of fact, I'm going to steal all your cattle, and I may kill you if you come after me. And I've been doing that for hundreds of years, and you've been doing that to me too. And so instead of doing that anymore, they've decided, listen, let's, not, let's stop killing each other and robbing from each other, and let's try to save the wildlife and work together. Hey, so can we I have just warriors. stop you for a second there? Yeah. How do they get to that point? Because that would be a good lesson to learn for all of us. How do they Well, I actually thought that they had a parallel to like the drug wars that we've got, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of essentially killing each other to work together to some end, and it actually takes quite severe leadership. And so what they've got over there that we don't have here is a tremendous respect for the elders in their community. And they have this mysticism, too, so that this is a real story. So two of the young guys decided to spear an elephant. They wanted the 65000 or $100,000 that comes along with taking the tusks of a, of, a, of a real old bull elephant. And they did. They speared the elephant, and they had cut the face off. And what happens is they literally just cut the face out of an elephant. So you save the rest to rot, and you just cut the face out. It's one of these horrifying things. When you see it, you just don't forget it. You saw that, actually. Oh, yeah. It's unfortunate. We saw too much of it. And so... Um, so these two guys speared an elephant, they cut the face out, and then they panicked. And they didn't sell 
the tusks to the Somalis who live in these little Somali towns outside of, uh, you know, the area where we were. Because one of the elders said, if anybody in my tribe has killed this elephant and taken the tusks, I'm going to put a spell on you and your entire family forever is going to be cast under the spell and you'll always be poor and you'll never have any wealth and no one will ever respect you. And the two guys immediately confessed. And so it's one of those stories like they really believed, number one, they had respect for this guy to say whatever he was saying. And then they actually took it to heart. They volunteered. They said it was us and they turned themselves in. Um, so for those types of systems to work, you know, this voluntary system of... of I guess, what you, but what you're talking about there is a faith-based system where, yeah. you ha- where you believe in something and you believe that if I do something wrong, I'm going to be punished. Not by being put in jail or being killed, but by actually, because by, by, I've transgressed yeah. the, the faith that I believe in. Yeah. I mean, it's a... So that's like a religious... It was a pretty powerful thing. experience meeting the people, having the opportunity to talk to them about, you know, their faith, their, their, not only their faith system, but their cultural systems. And respect is an enormous, enormous both weapon and, and shield over there. Like, you know, elders are held in, in great esteem. And so if you're the guy who controls your area, you control it from the top to the bottom. And so... How do you get that job? You're born into that? I don't know. I think you you're the toughest people. guy. So we t- would meet right. people, and we had guys, uh, guys with us, and you could tell like there was a hierarchy there that the toughest guy was allowed to grow their hair long, and they kept it in a, in a, in a bun, and everybody else had their head shaved, and they had one guy who was allowed in the group to like be the guy. And wh- and how so, do you get to be that guy? Do you, do you have to be the strongest I think person or the most convincing? or well, you, I, What is it? I, I think it, from my perspective, it looked like dominant personality. You could tell not only were they physically able to like match everybody else, but I think psychologically they had a like a charisma type thing that they were the most dominant people. And this is the guy that's going to put a hex on you. Uh, yeah, or put so a hatchet, put a hatchet on you. But he's the guy that was going to put the hex on the other guys for cutting an elephant's face. Yeah, off. but I also do think he could he could also throw the what they call the runguru at you and, and knock your skull out. <laughs> right. I mean, they were all very proficient at weaponry. I mean, they all good. Sh- they were shooters, and everybody carried a cell phone, a knife, and a gun. A cell phone, a knife, and a gun. Yep. Not that dissimilar from Central City. Anymore. Well, it could be. It could be. I, uh, I, uh, you well, know. The, well, the, the place of faith in our society and what binds us together is a pretty interesting, I mean, that's, it's as, it's as powerful as any of the other tools that binds us together. If that's what you're saying, that's what stops people. Because, Paul, I was reading in, in the stuff that you have on your website here. It says, I don't know what to read, but it said, you, you said, I learned through these years growing up here to treasure my hyper-literal overly ambitious loose wire adolescent adventures and attempting to out Jesus even Jesus mm. well I don't know whether you said that or someone else that was our that. drummer but yeah, yeah. I mean, it was very similar upbringing yeah well, so you, you grew up in what you describe here as eccentric Christianity yeah what is so, the definition of eccentric Christianity well you know I, I grew up uh, going to church like three four times a week of, of course you know I was immersed in that culture and kind of in, in youth group culture I mean the Bible Belt part that reaches into this city I was certainly um, a part of that um, and our drummer was as well he grew up in Springfield Missouri but kind of in the same sort of um, this is sort of charismatic Christian thing mm. that happened in the 80s and 90s um, Certainly my family was a part of that. And so, yeah, I was exposed to all that. And uh, it just made for some very unique experiences. But, yeah, it was certainly, um, you know, uh, my parents kind of grew up and were a product of the Jesus movement. That kind of happened in the 70s. So um, that particular generation of parents were very hell-bent 
uh, if that's the right word, to raise their Heaven kids. bent, I think. Heaven yeah. bent would probably be better, yeah. but um, although we had a, quite a healthy fear of hell, which certainly um, helped be a good motivator. You know, Jesus coming back at any second, so you, you had to make sure everything you, and was you right. Be, you believe that? All. Oh, yeah. This absolutely. is the same sort of put a hex on you type faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's certainly effective. Um, I, I don't know ultimately if it's the most healthy way to look at things, um, but um, as a societal, it was a means to an end. Yeah, and as a societal weapon to keep people in line, it's a tremendously effective weapon. Right? But everybody has to buy into it, though. You have to all believe that you're going to go to hell or you're going to be saved by Jesus, right, for sure. it to work. Right. <clears throat> Did you grow up, were your parents growing up, in the, you grew up in the Jimmy Swaggart era? Yeah. Oh, I worshipped Jimmy Swaggart, Marvin Gorman, who was the local guy. Um, you know, they were, they were the second coming of Jesus. Did you go to those services with Jimmy Swaggart oh, yeah. and Marvin? Well, you were there. Oh, yeah, I was there. Well, what was that like as a kid? Did you believe it? It was... Well, of course I did. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was very impressionable. I mean, these, these preachers were rock stars, you know? It was, bon, and, uh, was Bono and <laughs> Jimmy Swagger. Yeah, it really was, yeah. That, that's what I've aspired to be. I could you to be have the gone, melding of Bono and Could Jimmy you Swagger. have gone the Jimmy Swaggart way and instead of <laughs> thinking Bono was the guy to, to emulate? I guess it's very possible. Um, certainly, uh, my grandmother would have loved to have seen that. Um, but yeah, I remember that was that was the whole thing. You know, bodyguards used to bring in Marvin Gorman, and you know, the whole thing was if you could just get him to look your way and just send a blessing, and he would pray for you. And my grandmother was so excited one time she got Marvin Gorman to uh, put his hand on me and pray for me. I was I was just like maybe five that's or what something. did it. Maybe so. Maybe that's why I'm a all rock star today. That's that's why I've learned to treasure what, it. What, what was the quote? <laughs> <laughs> what did Marvin Gorman look like? I don't know him at all. Do you guys oh, man, know he, him? He looked like with every. Know. You know, televangelists look like from the 80s. With a, like a senator. Everybody kind of. wanted to be like Jim Baker at that point. Like yeah. a senator. Didn't they senator, look like exactly. U.S. senators with a great hair and the nice yeah. suit? Yeah. And the he looked like, just like Trent Lott. Just like <laughs> That's senator kind of what it looked like, right? Yeah. That yeah. was kind of a look. They were like Elvis senators. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and did That's you, awesome. Did they, make a, they made a lot of money. That was what they were all about, right, those guys? Yep. And gosh, was, it was prostitution that brought them down. Look at that. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it was the whole controversy. Right. That was... It brought down Jimmy Swaggart. Yeah. He and gone? Marvin Gorman, I believe. And I didn't know who Marvin Gorman... What happened? Did he it get? happened like within the same year. It was crazy. He was on Airline Highway as well. No. <laughs> Motel on Airline... <laughs> exactly. That's where Jimmy Swaggart... Don't plan a church on Airline Highway. Yeah. That's the, <laughs> the moral of the story. And what's up with the family now? Is your family still connected with all that stuff? Or have they no, left I mean, it behind? It's, it's certainly dispersed. I mean, that, that whole particular church movement is, is it's it's kind all of gone. gone away with. Yeah, right. it's, a, it's a different scene now, but... Um, you know, it's still a, a fairly decent church-going kind right. of family. And it's, you've maintained some sort of relationship with, with that life as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So you haven't left it totally well behind just no, because no, no, you're no, a no. rock star. <laughs> no, I, I certainly, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a dad now. You know, I have, I have a little girl, two years old. So, you know, all those things, you know, you want to bring them up right. in some sort of... Yeah, you have to make a choice about uh, that. But Michael, what do you bring up your kids? What religion? Well, we just, we're still looking at some of the Eastern African religions as an option <laughs> what are they called the, the one that you can put a, well, they have all you different put a hex on that those little we're going to have to take him awesome. to mount kenya we're going to take him to mount kenya we're going to sacrifice the goat and drink the blood of the goat so you see, drink. see what works <laughs> we're going to just check Renzo, it out you got any and it's uh, always it's always good to keep your options open especially if it involves killing a goat and drinking its blood right. that would sort of change your opinion about religion Renzo, what have you seen in your travels of as far as religion as far goes? as religion and faith that works None of it works. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a pretty stout atheist, actually. So, uh, How did you prove that God doesn't exist? You know, 
I prove it the same way that you can't prove that he does exist. I don't care. <laughs> okay. You know, so, I mean, the truth of the matter is, on a, on a good day, as far as, you know, for that, for that argument goes, I guess I would consider myself agnostic, but... But uh, but honestly, that's on a good day. Okay. Yeah, but honestly, like when you're feeling tolerant and open-minded, exactly. When but the guy tr- stole the sound. He was definitely an atheist. I was definitely an atheist. Yeah. That was <laughs> that what was about? Hey, here's an idea. What if you prayed to something and the sound came back? If that was to happen, God's love is endless. Uh, you know what? It's still what we, hey, why don't we all hold hands? <laughs> his, his mercies, Renzo, come his on. mercies are endless. <laughs> Actually, like, I'm I'm only like half kidding about that. Imagine if you did actually light a candle or drink the blood of a goat or do something or go to a voodoo ceremony mm-hmm. or pray to Jesus or something. Right. And the sound, you pick one. Right. And then the sound and suddenly some showed mirac- up. A miraculous thing happened. I quite honestly believe that the sound would have came back regardless of, the, of what I did. You know, if but it's just too late for it to come back by itself <laughs> now. It's never going to come back. It would be a miracle, right? It would, it would have to. It would, Jesus would have to come down himself and hand it to me. <laughs> Before I believed it. Gosh, I was about to offer my services to help bring sound back to his movie. I guess I should do yes. no, you could be oh, the this is my chance. of Jesus. I can, yes. I can score for Team yes. Jesus. Yes. You can finally out Jesus, Jesus. This is it. There you yeah. go. Jesus didn't come through, but Paul Meany from Thanks, Mark Math came through. Yeah. You, can get, you can go through and do all the voices, though. That'd be kind of funny. Because <laughs> I actually thought of doing that myself. <laughs> do all the voices. Just well, where be, are you now? What's funny. going on with you? Well, we have to wrap up here in a second. Oh, yeah. What's going on with your movie, the current movie, then? The I Am Luchador? Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that, one's, that one seems like it's going to be really fun. Because that's... Uh, actually, that goes back to religion in a lot of ways. Uh, because it, uh, it is... A, it is a mix between uh, The Last Temptation of Christ. Do you remember that movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Last Temptation of Christ, Jacob's Ladder. I don't know if you remember that movie or not. Yes. And in uh, Mexican wrestling. So. Nice. It's a natural segue. It's, yeah. I would go back to the same question I had earlier. Is I don't believe that you're not doing any drugs at all. This is, <laughs> this is all just from your imagination. Exactly. And he is a spy. And I'm a spy. And a spy from the United States. Right. So, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, it's a story about this, uh, this luchador who's fighting his last fight. He's offered, um, he's offered a bribe from the uh, Mexican drug cartel to, uh, to lose the fight. And so... And if he wins the fight, he makes all this money. Or if he wins the fight, they kill him. And if he loses the fight, he makes all this money. So, wow! If he wins the fight, the drug cartel is going to kill him. Exactly. So he di- he dies a hero and a champion. Oh, he gave it away. Yeah. Oh, wait. <laughs> or he or he lives and and he's rich, but he lives with the guilt of what he's done. And so the oh, which one do you take? Yes. Right. Let's go around the table. Well, Paul? death by Unga Bunga. <laughs> There's more to it, though. Of course, you know uh, when a who else comes down. He so he's on the mat. He's you know he's getting pinned and he's thinking about this is the moment where he has to make that decision. And the one count, the two count comes down, and then before the three count falls, you know he closes his eyes for a second, and he sees this future of his life if he loses. And he's living in New Orleans, and he's you know. Back on, he's drinking lies and drugs. He's womanizing. It sounds great, honestly. But, uh, but then, <laughs> is that Casa Borrega where yeah. they speak a lot of and, Spanish? Yeah, yeah exactly. So he feel at home. Maybe, maybe we use this as a location. I've never been in here. But, uh, but yeah, the, uh, but then he finds he finds love in it, uh, and he starts finding himself again and how and what being a hero really means and what he would be willing to do for love. And so that's where, he, you know, at the end, that's how he makes his decision on what he's going to do. 
And is this is this so the, a lot of the movie is a flashback? Uh, I would say yeah, like there's there's the beginning where he's given the opportunity, and then there's the you know the beginning of the fight. Then the, yeah, the bulk of it would be that flashback of of him living in this dream, basically. So he's wearing a mask the entire time. He's wearing a luchador mask the whole time, and a lot of people kind of that read it don't understand that. And I try to explain. So he's in a dream, and that's how he sees himself. And they're like, well, we need to see his face. I'm like, you don't need to see his face. You know, because it, it comes up in, as part of the story that, you know, he never even understood who he really, really was. And so uh, he, he is unmasked eventually. But so this is, a, I mean, this is a guy searching for himself. Exactly. You it's, know, and how much of this is you? Oh, I'm sure there's, uh, there's plenty of me hidden in there in places. But then, you know, I draw, I draw a lot, though, to be honest. I learned a long time ago, learn the most you can from other people's mistakes. You know, so I, okay. I listen to a lot of people's stories and I take a lot of that in. Um, so you can't, I mean, you can't write anything really without putting a little bit of yourself into it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I've definitely, I'm definitely in there, but it's not 100% me. It's not a story about you and the search for yourself. And no, not necessarily. I mean, I, I was never given the opportunity to, uh, to do any of that. <laughs> I would have definitely made the bad decision. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. There's always hope. Yeah, yeah if you're talking, about, <laughs> you're talking about Hollywood. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, yeah so listen, there's a great story here, though, that you got to remember whenever you're kind of like marching forward in the film business is never trust anybody else with your sound shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, from, that's from years yeah, there, of experiences. There's a uh, whole uh, new plan for all that. Yeah, <laughs> believe me. Trust me. You put it on the back of an elephant, right. then it kind of <laughs> runs it to a giraffe, then gets it to a Michael, goat. what are you doing now with this thing? So you shot, this, you shot the pilot. Yeah. You came back alive. Nobody yeah. got killed because I was determined somebody was going to get killed. Nobody on got trip. killed. No one had any malaria problems or anything like that. We actually all came back really excited. Uh, we're going to do a couple more interviews in the United States. As a matter of fact, there was an article yesterday about Hillary Clinton signing on and meeting with the people we met with there. And she's now kind of into the movement to support, uh, you know, the African elephant. Because the question is really, like, if we can't, it's like, remember the whale? Yes. The whale was going to be extinct in the 1980s. And everybody turned their attention and said, wait a second, if we can't, if we can't save the whale, what, do we, what's, what does that mean about us? So. Um, so we've got a couple more interviews. We're going to have something out probably mid-September for us to really take a look at. So that's really the focus right now. We're really burning to get it done and get it on TV April 14th, April of 2014, Earth Day of April 2014. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. You it's really did it. You pulled yeah. it off. Pulled it off, man. Wow. We're looking forward to seeing what happens Me too. that. Me too. What's the name of the project? Drawing the Line. Drawing the Line. It's about a guy who's an artist who goes to the, you know, African wilderness to find this beautiful, pristine piece of wilderness and to live in harmony with nature and find out how it's done and, and uh, art and nature and all in balance. Drawing the line. Yeah, okay. drawing the line. Congratulations. You Thank pulled you. it off. How pulled amazing. It off. Paul, tell us about Mute Math. Where are you guys and what's happening? We're in the middle of making our new record and uh, we're about to go back to Australia. We're going to do a little tour out there. There's a harvest festival in Australia. We still won't get to see New Zealand. Um, well, well, you can almost there see one it. Day. Yeah. We're going to India this year and I'll play our first you're, show out there. You're playing in India? Yeah. Looking forward to that. So that's cool. Get to see a little more of the world this year. Yeah, that's I'm sure awesome. we only got to hear one song off this awesome album, Odd Soul. But um, you can get it wherever good downloads are sold, and yeah. uh, in the odd record store that still exists in the United States. It's spelled O D D, so not Old Soul, but Odd Soul. Yep. God, you guys, thank you so much for joining me here. Oh, on thanks Happy for having us. Today. Great. What a great hour! I think we only like 
went down one road. We could have done this whole thing a whole different way. Maybe we have to have everybody back and do it all over again. Sure. Let's do it. Thank you so much. My special guests on Happy Hour have been Paul Meany from Mute Math, Michael Arata from Drawing the Line, and Renzo Amariz, whose new movie is I Am Luchador, about a man in a mask. The producer of our show is Graham DuPonte. Our associate producer and technical director is Chris Kehoe. Christian Unruh is our music director and our link to the real world and web designer. Is the fabulous Dr. Cliff Brigden. Mitch Foreman wrote and is currently playing the theme song you're listening to. The fabulous audio quality of this show is brought to you in part by PreSonus Audio Electronics. PreSonus makes some of the best audio recording and live sound products around, including Studio One music production software, Studio Live digital mixing consoles, Eris studio monitors, and much more. You can visit PreSonus.com for more info about that. If you'd like to be on our show and you can stay upright for about an hour, drop us a line. Our address is on our website. You can check out our other happy hours on our website. There's tons more shows to listen to, as well as Out to Lunch with Peter Rusciutti, live from Commander's Palace, Mindset with psychiatrist Dr. Nick Pajic. True to the Game with Chris True and Tammy Nelson, Vietnam, our show about the New Orleans Vietnamese community, and Midnight Menu Plus One with Margot Moss and the man who ate New Orleans, Ray Canada. You can keep up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and a bunch of other time-sucking social media as well. On all of them, we're called It's New Orleans. If you listen to this show on iTunes or Stitcher, thank you for subscribing. Take a moment to rate and review us. That will help other people find us. Our show is recorded live today at Casa Borrega on Aretha Castle Haley Boulevard, at Felicity, you can come here and check out the awesome menu, live music, and get a cocktail as well. It's also open for brunch on Sundays. Happy Hours, a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. For Andrew Duhon, who's somewhere in Europe, Mitch Foreman, who's on the piano. Everyone back at the INO office and sitting around here at Casa Borrega. I'm Grant Morris. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on Happy Hour. Mm-hmm.